0: Welcome to the Fundraising Leadership Podcast, where we engage in lively and thoughtful conversations with professionals in the nonprofit world, or in today's case, not the nonprofit world. My name is Margaret Katz Can, and I'm here with my friend and teammate, David Lanjuli. Good morning, David. Good
1: morning, Margaret.
0: And today we have a special guest on the podcast in our focus for 2023 on personal growth and challenging leaders to think (laughs) and see things differently. We are super pleased to invite and have had a yes from Valerie Tiberius, who's joining us today on the show. Valerie is the Paul W. Frenzel Chair in Liberal Arts and a Professor of Philosophy at the University of Minnesota. Her previous books include Well-Being as Value Fulfillment, How We Can Help Each Other to Live Well, and The Reflective Life, Living Wisely with Our Limits. She lives in Minneapolis and has a new book out, which is what we're going to talk about today. And it has the very expansive title of What Do You Want Out of Life? A Philosophical Guide to Figuring Out What Matters. Welcome, Valerie. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. We're so happy to have you. And so this is a, you know, that's a big, that's a big, ambitious thing to write about. So I think we'd love to start just by asking you,
2: what drew you to this topic? So there's kind of two answers to that, or two ways of answering that question. One is in the philosophy world about what, you know, there are a bunch of philosophers who write about well-being and flourishing, and there's kind of different tracks in that world. One track is Called hedonism, and it's living a good life is all about your feelings. Um, another track is a more objective path where living well is um, getting certain kinds of objective goods and being a, a good person. And then the third track is that a good life is really getting what you want, it's based on your own psychology. And that's always been my track. I've always been on that team in philosophy. So my philosophical work develops this um, theory of about well-being or or living a good life, that um, that basically says it's all about fulfilling your most important values. That's that's the theory. And then, so it was really the editor at Princeton and my dad who who read some of that stuff and thought you should really, you know, some of these ideas could find a broader audience and maybe be helpful to, to people. And um, that's what, that's what drew me to writing something. That's what drew me to writing this book, um, which is, you know, it's not a book that's um, I hope it's more accessible than some of the other books I've written.
1: Mm. Well, you're touching on a topic that is certainly near and dear to both Margaret and my heart's as coaches. And we before we got on podcasts, we were talking about coaching and you know we work with leaders in the nonprofit world. And one of the questions we often ask, um, and it comes from our coach training, is what do you really want? That is like one of the essential coaching questions, and it lives in the land of one of the core uh, principles of coaching, which is how do you live a f- fulfilling life? I mean, you. So you're you're right. We're we're feeling right at home with you right now, <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's a question that makes people sometimes wildly uncomfortable. Oh. Right? That-
2: that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned to you before we we uh, started talking officially that that I had had some experience working with a coach while I was um doing administration and um and that is what now that I think about it, that is what she was helping me with. You know, I should not underestimate that she may have had an influence on my writing this book too. That that could actually be. I guess I think that You know, there's a level at which if you ask people what their values are, they know. And psychologists who do studies about values, you know, they give people surveys and they ask people what their values are and people have answers. They say, you know, family and health and meaningful work and security, financial security, they say those things. So there's a sense in which people do know what they really want. But I think, I think we don't often know very specifically what we really want. So we we have these vague, like big general abstract ideals that we're moving towards. But what we don't know is, well, what does that mean in my life? Like what kind of work, work work, you know, and what about work, what kind of family and what, what how do I want to uphold the value of family by, you know, by being a stay at home parent or, you know, getting married or having a chosen family or there's so many options. So that's that's the part for me where I think we need uh, help and and some some like honest reflection. I don't know if that fits your experience as coaches, but. Yeah, I
0: think um, I think it does uh, quite quite a lot. You know, yeah, there's there's even when people choose a word, perhaps that's a value, as you've just sort of said, you know, oh, let's say that I value family. Well, that th- even that you'd think, OK, sure, family. But there's twenty seven hundred ways that that can have different meanings to different people. Right. As yeah, you said, can I be- think I Oh, oh,
2: sorry if yeah, I no, interrupted no, you. Okay. I mean, right.
0: It can I, be that I value my extended family. I value my children. I value my partner. I value, um, you know, the ideals of family as I define them. So, yeah, just just nothing
2: is clear until we double click on it, I think. Exactly right. And I think people also can, I, I see this in my students, um, people can tend to make mistakes about which values are you know ultimate and important for their own sake and which ones are just a means to getting something else like i this is i think an issue with money so a lot of students in fact i did this with my students recently i asked asking them about their career choices and what their considerations were money was right up there for all of them but of course money's important for what it can Get for us, not not for its own sake, and that I think that's important to to recognize. You know, same thing with status. Status recognition it's not clearly important for itself. It's important because of you know what it enables you to do, or how it makes you feel, or something like that. And that that I think is an important thing to sort out, especially when it comes to money, because we're such a money focused culture.
1: Yeah, you talk a, a well, little and bit. Since we deal with um, <clears throat> a lot of the folks in the audience are fundraisers either outright, they lead fundraising teams, or they lead organizations where fundraising is essential uh, to the mission of the organization. And, and embedded in what I just said is, is um, highlighting your point is that fundraising is not the reason why or money is not the reason why the organization exists it's what does the organization do with the money that is as is why people give
2: absolutely and and you know when i was department chair the, one of my roles was fundraising for the department now i didn't have to i mean you know my role was to have lunch with uh alumni who 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 might be interested in making donations to the college or the or the department turned out that was really fun i thought that would be a terrible uh you know i i was kind of I was kind of nervous about doing that but there's such awesome people these successful university philosophy graduates who've gone on to do great things with their life and want to give back to the university those people turn out to be fantastic people and it was interesting to see that you know they want their money to go to something meaningful to them and it they, they're at the point in their lives where they can um they don't need everything that they have for the things they want to do for themselves. And so they're looking for some way to make a difference and they want to connect to um, important values, like educating young people and um, supporting programs that they think are good for their own sakes, you know? So it is that money is always a, an instrument to the next thing. Yeah. I love what you're saying. And, uh, you know, it, it gives us permission
0: Right. As you know, you talk about philanthropists and people who, who get the opportunity to clarify through their donations, maybe to um, to continue to clarify and hone in on what their values are. But one of the things that you wrote about that um, that I enjoyed or found a little bit evocative and resonant is this idea that sometimes we consider something a value. But it really isn't. It's something that was taught to us. And you you cite the memoir Educated, which I also read by Tara Westover, and this idea of how we can sometimes get trapped a little bit by things we think are values, but maybe aren't our values, but we're our parents values. Can you say a little bit more about that? For
2: sure. I so I see that a lot with students, maybe because I teach philosophy, which is not the major that parents want their students to, <laughs> to have. Um, unfairly, a bit unfairly. Not STEM. I, think, but, I mean, you know, we can all agree. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but I, I have talked to a lot of students who whose parents want them to be pre-med and whose parents want them to be doctors or lawyers or maybe accountants. And they just, they have no passion for it. They can't, you know, they're bored out of their heads in those classes and they come into philosophy and they think, this is, I love this. And uh, so I think, you know, that's a case where, and there are, it's not just college students who have these experiences, but we grow up thinking that This is your path, and this is what a good person does. And that path might not suit who you are. Uh, It just it might not fit your your psychology because you know there we're different from each other. So even if your father and mother are both doctors or both lawyers, you might be the kind of person who you know. Faints at the sight of blood. Isn't interested in anatomy. Doesn't like arguing with people. Um, so I think we really have to tune into what we're like, what our, especially what our emotional dispositions are, in order to find like the specific values that that really work for us. Yeah, David, did you have
0: any of those when you began to clarify your values? Things that you're like mm, maybe not.
1: Well, I. I did get some good coaching as I was – we do a lot of work around values, uh, Valerie, in our coach training. Um, Explicit – we get explicit training on how to uh, tease out uh, clients' values. And I remember when I was going through coach training and um, working with a coach myself, I did sort of distinguish – especially the value around family It's another one. You, we talked about money. Well, you know, people, family always comes up very high on a very common list of values that people will express. But really, you know, um, I was asked and I asked clients, like, what's what's important about family to you? This is like, I think... One of the questions that your book, if I'm not mistaken, is addressing, like, well, what's important about family to you? And then that can lead, that sort of takes you down the rabbit hole. Like I, I had a, uh, I had someone coach me once um, who just said, you know, good questions take you down tunnels.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Just so thinking about family and connecting that back with Margaret's question, um, sometimes I think, so we talked about, we were talking about how parents can kind of inculcate these values in you that don't really fit, but, you know, the culture can do that too. And I think sometimes with family, we have a culture that sort of applauds uh, close nuclear family bonds and, you know, children being respectful to parents and taking care of their parents later in life and parents taking care of children early in life. And, you know, there are people who, whose parents are horrible and, and who I'm, I'm kind of thinking of, um, friends I have in the LGBTQ community whose parents rejected them and, um, and really made their lives <laughs> impossible. Uh, and people in that sort of situation, you know, they're, they're in a conflict because um, the, 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 the sort of cultural pressures and pressures from the family are pressures to value the family, no matter what, you know, unconditional love. Um, but that's not always the best option for people i think sometimes it does make sense for people in that situation to try to reinterpret the value of family and to say well what i you know what is what is important about family is a kind of reciprocity and a mutual uh, love and respect, and I don't get that from my biological family, so I got to do something different here. I, by the way, do get that from my biological family. I was, you know, picturing a, a different person, but I've been, I've been lucky in the family department.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, not to step over your question, Margaret, uh, which I maybe I did or not, but uh, education. Since the three of us here are all very highly educated uh, folks, um, by some measure <laughs> that we could say. And, um, uh, and I, before I, uh, so I've really started to look at that value and you and I, Margaret have had some conversations about this with, uh, someone, you know, who's important in your life right now. And, uh, before I got on the podcast and my father was a professor of philosophy for 40 years and before i had mentioned that to valerie on before we got on the podcast and um so i've been looking at and the society as a whole we spend inordinate amounts of money so back to money again uh on education like and i remember growing up like in high school When I was thinking about whether or not I would go to college, where I would go to college and and those sorts of questions, I was fortunate to to be able to have those kinds of questions in my household. And um, I remember distinctly my father saying college isn't for everybody. This was from somebody who had placed a huge value on education. So. I think there's something, so I have I have been looking at that, my own value around education these days and what it means and how it manifests even with my own children. And so I, I think it's a rich conversation that you don't just necessarily accept what you're given. And I'm very grateful that I had two parents who encouraged me not, to to question everything. Now, of course, that made for very lively dinner conversations that most people, when they came over for dinner, didn't like to come back (laughs) to our house. (laughs) That's really interesting. I, so
2: your dad was a good dad. It sounds like, I mean, I, in my, my, my dad was also, my dad's still alive, but he's retired now. He's also a very good dad. Um, but the university question was not open. That was, it was, it's where are you going to go? Not, are you going to go? I suppose my sister and I had choice about whether we would pursue advanced degrees after our undergraduate degree, but that was, um, yeah, it was sort of just mm-hmm. the the thing that you do. Um, but I like, I like that you're, I mean, one thing that I think is really important about Opening that as a parent. Um, and, and I should say I I don't have children, I, but I um talk, I read a lot about parenting because I'm interested in it from the value point of view. Um, but one thing that's really great about that is I think, you know, I think people's values have to fit them. And so if you're a parent or or even a friend or a spouse or whatever kind of relationship you have with another person, if you're trying to help them, I think you need to have a little bit of humility and, and, uh, you know, not, not be the person who rushes in and says, well, you must be just like me. So you should do what I did. Um, and I, I do think we, we tend, we have a tendency towards that. Um, and it sounds like your dad really didn't, which is great. (laughs) Are you, are you emulating his parenting with your own kids?
1: I, I'm doing my best to channel both my mother and my father and their good qualities of character, uh, in my own parenting. Although I, I would, I I would say both my wife and I, we talk about this quite a bit and, you know, we're just trying to do even better than they did. They were not perfect people and um and we're just doing our best. <laughs> but yes, so yeah. 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 Uh
2: I I haven't met a lot of perfect people yeah, not not so far. <laughs>
0: And I'm sort of curious, you know, listening and it sounds like, you know, David, for you, education has been a value that's been a constant and that, you know, maybe it's meant different things as you looked at college and as you, you know, Mm -hmm. went through that process with your daughters to think about that. Mm -hmm. But I would say my experience with values, like if you had asked me to list my five top values when I was 20 or 30 or 40, like they would have been a completely different list. Like, I don't actually know that I, have values that have been consistent and sometimes I have values that I keep I have a little a little card here that has my five most current values and some of them are aspirational mm-hmm. you know it's actually about a quality of self that I want to invoke more of
2: mm. Right. That's really, that's really interesting. I, so do you find, I mean, do you have some consistency in terms of like work and family and health maybe, but that the values that you're focused on are the ones that change? Um, I'm going to say, I mean, I'm just realizing like,
0: wow, I I don't think I did it wrong at all. But my values are, they are, that's nothing structural. It is holy ways that I aspire to show up in the world. They are purely things about how I interact with humanity. And so, you know, do I value education? I do, you know, my children went to college. I went to college like you, Valerie. It wasn't a, it wasn't an if, <laughs> it, was a, it was a where and you better get enough grades to make it someplace good, you know. But the, yeah, the, you know, mine are, and I, you know, I have it, I I, I have it here. That's it, there are things more, you know, aliveness, creativity, being present, being accepting, being courageous. So there are more ways about,
1: so I'm going to pause you there Margaret because yeah. I know you well enough and I don't I, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit because uh, I know how creative you are so I would say at least when I heard that one it's not aspirational for you you're no. living it Yeah <laughs>
0: okay that's fair <laughs> so these values came to me when I began my coach training which was a period of great transition And I'm pretty sure had you asked me to define my values, which I never did, by the way, a year earlier, they would have been, you know, softness, compassion, Mm -hmm. service. Um, And it's not that I don't value those things. It was like I had those I had those handled.
1: You know, but I didn't have a lot of I think that's important. I think that's important because you mentioned uh, health, Valerie, you know, which is also another health health we could say health and well-being but let's just say health and you know having had some health challenges as uh, in my 50s here it's it's clearly very high for me right now but when i have my list which is a a series of value strings margaret so the way we were taught how to do them (laughs) there's oh oh, there you go okay (laughs) but these are with my journal with me all the time um it didn't make the list. It's almost as if it's it's um, inferred or right. it's, it's so inherent, present for me. Right. It's just a inherent, given. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important to, I think, and I'd, I'd be interested in your opinion on this, Valerie, like there are, I think there is to do some thinking even about those things that are inherent or that you're not even writing down what do you think about that that's
2: that's fascinating um so i guess um the first thing i, w- I want to observe is is margaret your uh your values are essentially personality traits like or or virtues or character traits or something like that The you know creativity and and um i i, I can't remember your list but Uh, and one of the things I, so I have this thought experiment in the book where, um, if you're trying to figure out what your values are, you know, as a kind of almost a joke, like what would you take from your house if it were burning down? Um, and then, and then I, I, I thought as, as I thought about that, I was like, well, that's that's, in some ways that's a stupid thought experiment because it prioritizes small things that you can carry. Right. And, um, So then I thought, well, maybe the Maybe a useful thing to think about is if you were going to be if you, if we had this kind of technology and your your consciousness was going to be um, transplanted into a new body, and the technologists could filter out some parts of your personality and save others, what would you want to save? You know, and for me, like if I could get rid of some of the anxiety, I would do that in a heartbeat. Uh, but I would want to keep my you know integrity and sense of humor, joy of life. Like, so, so those are, that's a way of thinking about your character trait emphasis. I think that, you know, a kind of a thought experiment to get people to think, well, what are the things I care about when it comes to my personality? And I think now going back to to David's point, I think, you know, you're right that like a lot of the things we value, we don't really recognize that it's a value. And I think for a lot of people, character traits might be like that. You know, if you because if you, you know, when psychologists ask people what they value, they mention these things like a career and a marriage and a relationship with children. They don't talk about sense of humor and integrity and creativeness. um, But they could have prompted. And so I think you know that's a that's a really neat thing about about what you're telling me about coaching, that it that it encourages people to think to dig up and acknowledge the things that they value, even if they're not the thing that you would put on your list right away. Yeah. I think
0: one of the things about certainly about the style of coaching that David and I both value is our culture is very good at the doing. And it's very important, right? What we do, our to-do lists, but we try to add some weight to the being part of the equation for clients who get sometimes overly stuck or culture has pushed them into an overemphasis on doing things and being how to be. That's something we almost always have more control over than that's the doing. That's really
2: cool. Yeah, I do. So I I talk about that in, in the book, but I but I emphasize that doing more. Now I maybe I got I got to rewrite it.
1: And... <laughs> <laughs> well, this is no, the, next, I... the next edition, the you know the, next the revised edition. and improved right. version. Yeah. For sure, uh, I do. Uh, Margaret and I do um, talk a lot about uh, work with our clients on, even on our training, the being the onto- the ontology of leadership as opposed to the doing of of leadership, ways of being, which I think are more aligned in a more helpful way with this conversation around values. But I wanted to come back to something you said about anxiety for a moment, because it, I think it addresses the chapter that we're sharing with the audience. It's a topic that Margaret and I talk about a, a lot, which is like there are certain aspects like our anxiety, for example, that we might wish we're not there and or we resist you know the fact that we have anxiety in some senses every aspect i I hold this that it, especially around anxiety and there's a lot of of good research now on anxiety I, like it serves a useful purpose. so even when you're looking at your life wishing that certain things were not the way they are. Uh, we, we talk about, um, seeing the gift or opportunity in some of these situations, uh, uh, personality traits, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, 40 plus years of struggling with depression, like what, what I wish my life was free of that. Yes. I have wished every day, every week, every month, every year of my life that I was free of this. And yet, There is some purpose in it that I've come to relish or appreciate in that now I get to work with others, not as a not as a therapist, but I am an example of someone who can work through it and still live a very fulfilled life. So. I offer that back to you. I'm curious about your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. I so depression seems less I'm sorry you've had to live with it. I d- depression seems less like it has a good side than anxiety. Um although I guess you can learn things from from the experience, but I was I was thinking about something very similar when I was talking to uh a, a, somebody yesterday about my, the anxiety that I've had in my life and being diabetic. So there's a way in which being an anxious person is partly why I'm healthy now, because I was always worried about taking my shots and managing my diet and making sure I got exercise. And so now I'm, I did benefit from that. Um, And I think, uh, so, so I can, I can relate to, to that, that point you were making, um, but I also think, you know, personality is sticky. Um, there's, there's a, I, I collaborate with a personality psychologist. So I, I've looked at some of the psychology literature on personality traits and you can change your personality to some degree, but you can't become a completely different person without some kind of, you know, very serious medication that probably has horrible side effects. Uh, and so I I do think at some point you have to learn to live with that part of yourself. And maybe that's kind of what you're describing. I You know, sometimes are the traits that we have that we don't really like. If we if we witness them in a friend, it would be one of those things where oh, that's annoying, uh, <laughs> but I still love that person. And I think we can take that attitude towards ourselves. Um, you know, I think I think we tend to have a, a kind of myth that we have ultimate control over our own attitudes towards things. Um and we do we certainly have some control but I don't know in my experience um no matter how much I've tried to be less of this or more of that some of it just is what it is and it's it's not going anywhere right. and, and that's the
1: point of the chapter or at least one of the points you make in the chapter that you shared acceptance to, yeah um,
2: yeah and yeah, and acceptance. and I do think laughing at yourself having a sense of humor about it is is important and then that what you said right at the beginning david that things are not that serious i mean some things are very very serious but you know being a little bit more of a anxious person than i would like is not like the war in ukraine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thanks
0: valerie you've given um you've given just in the in the last minute like several things for for our listeners to think about and try. And I'm just going to do a little recap because I heard, you know, there's, there's an invitation to, uh, to see the, the, I'm going to call them quirks, but those personality traits in ourselves in the same way that we would hold them lovingly in a friend and to find some humor. And we'd love to just invite you before we close. uh, Are there any other things that you'd love to invite our listeners to think about or try?
2: Yeah, I guess, you know, as a person who wrote a book called The Reflective Life, the <laughs> past book, I I do think it's a useful thing, not to reflect all the time, but to have an occasional moment where you reflect on what really matters to you. And you think about, you sort of do an accounting of your time, you know, think about the last week or month, and how much of your time do you spend doing things that contribute to the things that really matter to you in an in important way versus how much time are you spending on things that are, you know, just merely instrumentally important or not really something that you actually care about. So I think that's a useful exercise, which it sounds like is pretty consonant with the values work that you, you guys do. Yeah. Wonderful. So the name of Valerie's newest book
0: is What Do You Want Out of Life? A Philosophical Guide to Figuring Out What Matters. And is it out? Is it available? It is. Yep. Okay, it's we're going to link to it in the show notes if people are interested in, uh, in getting themselves a copy of that. And we just want to say thank you to Valerie for, um, for a great thought-provoking conversation. Thank you. This was really fun. (laughs) Great. This podcast, and sorry, before I finish, David, thank you too. (laughs) Anything else you want to add? Thank you, Margaret.
1: (laughs) Uh, Don't worry. I didn't take it personally. Another thing I've learned uh, uh, how to live a happy life is not to take anything personally.
0: All right. Now, taking it home. This podcast is brought to you by Fundraising Leadership. We provide unique coaching and training programs to grow nonprofit leaders. Please subscribe. If you haven't already, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, you can help us continue to bring thoughtful content with a one-time contribution. This supports our production costs and keeps the show ad-free. Please contribute today using the link in the show notes. And if you do, you will receive one or more of our highly acclaimed online courses. Now, go put it into practice.